free. I, I don't know if I can get this. Oh my, I, I feel like it's going to slip and hit me in the head there. <clears throat> I was pulling pretty hard. I've had a rough week. We've been moving and, you know, I've got, my elbows are extremely bruised. I'm going to tell you why. And my eye is bruised. It's um, Katie's fault, really. No, it's not. Um, I don't want to go too far into this, I, but I'll tell you now that I introed it. Um, I've got a black eye because we're sleeping in our camper. We're kind of in between houses right now, so I'm sleeping in the camper, and the bed, top bed folds down, and we're sleeping underneath. Jackson was sleeping up, up there, and we've got two dogs. They're in the camper with us. It's just chaos. And in this bunk, there's like a cabinet door that's supposed to be chained, and it keeps it from falling down, and your head's right up. It's the stupidest design. And the dog jumps up on our bed, and it, it knocks the lock off the top of the cabinet, and I put my head up the same time that this door swings down. It hits me right on the eye. And if you know me, I hate things that do with the eye. I mean, I wear glasses because I can't wear contacts. So it was just like, I'm blind. In fact, I think I shouted that. <laughs> you know, when you get hit, it's like a white flash, and you're like, I'm, not, I'm still asleep. So I got a black eye, and then we're moving stuff, and I've got, I'm a duck hunter or, or a bird hunter, and I've got these mounts that are very special to me. And if you're a bird hunter, you know what I'm talking about, and they're memories. And I say, okay, Jackson, we're carrying this into the room and down, down, downstairs, and there's no carpet on the downstairs. And I said, be careful, don't touch the walls. And as soon as I did that, I was wearing these shoes, and it was raining outside, and it just slipped. And I mean, I was like, my feet went up like a cartoon, you know, slip on a banana peel or something. It was just up and down. And I held this mouth. I wasn't letting that go. <laughs> and it was like, boom, 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 all the way down. And Jackson thought that was the funniest thing in the world. And I just bit my lip. I didn't say anything. I was in pain. So please don't touch my elbows. Okay. <laughs> my eye. We're not going to have that uh, bumpy of a road today uh, when we're preaching. It's going to be good. So... Um, Joshua chapter 23, we're going to read the entire chapter. What did I do with my Bible? Is that right there? Will you turn to 23 for me? And then um, I'm going to intro this today. This sermon, I want to introduce you to this passage of Scripture with painting a picture of what it was like to the Israelites after they've been in the promised land, after they have battled and fought and now they've divided it up in an inheritance, and they're living in a land of peace and prosperity right now. So you can imagine just in the plains, and perhaps the sun is just coming over the mountaintops, and it's warm, and Joshua calls all the leaders together over all the land, and he has something extremely important to say. And the wars that they had battled, they're all finished. In fact, they've been finished for 20 years. And the fighting that they had all gone through with Jericho and the town of Ai and crossing the Jordan River, all the miracles were just a distant memory of the past. And in fact, to the teenagers, wars and those stories were just an old tale that granddad would love to talk about. Society had just settled down and settled in. And agriculture was increasing. The economy was looking healthier all the time. And people were getting used to their routines. 
And fear was no longer an element of their daily lives. And there was a sense of a revival in the people in this nation. And people everywhere were just confessing their commitment to God. And the attitude of society was peace. It was during this time that an old man, perhaps with a white, streaked gray beard, maybe nicely trimmed with silver hair, steps up in front of a crowd of leaders and overseers that Joshua began to preach his very last sermon. Just before he dies, he knows that his time has come and he's giving the people one last set of instruction and that's what we're about to read. Joshua chapter 23. After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them. Joshua by by then an old and well advanced in years, so he's well advanced. Summon all the Israel, all Israel, their leaders, elders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I'm old and well advanced in years, and you yourselves have seen everything the Lord God has done to all of these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have uh, uh, allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Great Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you. And you will take possession of their land as the Lord God had promised you. Be very strong. The continuing theme of Joshua. Be strong and be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. And one of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, They will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now I'm about to go away of all the earth, and you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all these good promises the Lord your God gave has failed, and every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as every good promise of the Lord has come true, So the Lord will bring on you all the evil that he has threatened until he has destroyed you from this good land that he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land that he has given you. It's a stark reminder, and it's a 
it's a contrast of God's promises and also to take seriously what God says. But to follow after Him means something to them and to us. There's a story I want to read to you. In 1938, a pilot by the name of Douglas Corrigan left Floyd Bennett Field in New York City to fly to Los Angeles, California. A dense fog, and this is a true story, a dense fog had settled in at the runway, but he decided to take off anyway. And as he lifted off, he ended up taking a left turn instead of a right, veering east instead of west, and he flew for about 28 hours before he landed not in California, but in Dublin, Ireland, forevermore being known as Wrong Way Corrigan. Wrong Way Corrigan. It's a, I sympathize with him because how many of you have taken wrong turns? I have taken way too many wrong turns. In fact, I've taken a wrong turn just getting to my house twice this week. And sometimes we just take wrong turns, whether it's on accident or it's on purpose. The, 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 the outcome is still the same. We're, we're deterred from our goal and our destination, right? Even if Siri's wrong and she's telling you to do something, that voice is saying you need to turn left, you may accidentally get on the interstate going the wrong direction. So there are consequences to a wrong dis- direction that we take, a wrong turn. And those consequences land upon us. And we've got to be careful to know which turn we need to make, to go straight or to turn left or to the right. And Joshua saying, don't turn to the left or to the right. And I know that the road is wide, and everybody else seems to be going that way. Don't do that. You've got to go on that narrow path. You are going to go on that. In fact, it's going to feel a little lonely sometimes, but that's the path that God has laid out for us. And in those crossroads of life, it's important for us to make a decision that we steer the course and that we head towards what our roadmap is telling us to go. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We are going to take a survey of the roadmap that God has given us today in Joshua chapter 23. We're going to take Joshua's words and his concern, right, for his leaders, for the nation, for his children and his grandchildren. He could see the writing on the wall, that the battles, they were strengthened, that these battle-hardened men and women, that they knew what it was like to trust God in the wilderness, to be provided for, to be on your knees and see and ask God for daily provision, to ask for water, to be rescued from, from slavery and captivity. They, they knew what it was like to, to fight these battles and for the miraculous power of God to bring down the walls of Jericho. Now, 20 years later, they, he can almost see the apathy in the future, saying, oh my goodness, if we just sit here and rest and not be watchful and not be careful. We're living in the land that God has promised us and now we're living in all the fruit, we're living in all the abundance, we're living in the blessings of God. He's saying a concern, don't let up. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've let up when things are going good. God, give me rest. Lord, protect me. God, deliver me from all the stress. Lord, give me the answers. And when they come, it seems like God becomes a distant man. I think Joshua is speaking to probably all of us who have experienced faith in our life and needing to trust him in those moments of blessings. And you might be in, a, in an area of your life where you're blessed. 
And God has brought you through some battles, and God has given you a new land, a new territory in your family, in your relationships, in your work, and all this sort of stuff that God has given you. And I want to hover over this passage of 23, specifically over 6 and 8. I want to read this together, and there are three principles that is laid out for us that if we apply this to our lives, we will not get lost. You will not get lost in your life. You will know exactly where you're headed if you take these three principles and you live by it daily. This will be your roadmap to life. You will not go to the right or the left if you utilize these principles from Joshua. And it comes from 6 and 8. Be very strong. And I just love how that just intros. And be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. And you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. There are three points of interest that we need to highlight that is necessary for us to, to capture what Joshua is speaking to us, to those who are living in the land of promises, and to, to caution us for the future. Number one, point of interest in a roadmap is obedience. Be careful to obey all that is written. Somehow, along the way, churches have shied away from this word obedience in church and are preaching. Right? Especially in Utah, we preach the grace message over and over and over again. We love preaching the grace message, which is absolutely true. We know that we're not saved by works, right? And, and that all of our good works are just filthy rags. I mean, it's just, it's useless if it's just by itself. But at the other end of that spectrum is that we can't just say grace, 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 grace without any action, right? I mean, on the road, there's a ditch on either side. You go too far on one side, you're going to have grace with no accountability, no action, and no, no life that is even worth following or even worth provoking to, to your neighbors or your friends or those who don't know Jesus. Because why be a Christian? Why, why serve God if there's no difference? There's got to be a difference. And so that's the, that's the arena that we want to be careful of is going on falling into the ditch on that side of the road. On the other end, if we say, law, 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 you got perfection, perfection, and all this sort of stuff, then we fall into the ditch of legalism. So we don't want to have just grace without the action in our lives. We don't want to just have all of this stuff that perfectionism and legalism. There's got to be a marriage between action and grace, right? I mean, that's where we're at. That's how you stay in the middle of the road. And it's through obedience. Obedience is something that God calls us to a greater area in our life. When we're just living for our own, we just obey ourselves. But when we surrender our, ourselves over to God, we say we surrender ourselves over to you. So now we don't live for ourselves. We don't live for what we think is best. We, we live for God's word, God's roadmap to our lives. And we have to trust that what he says is good for us, even though we may not understand it or see it that way. Even though we may see it as it's going to damage my relationship with my daughter if I profess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. We might have to come to terms with that and just obey that God, that God is going to, to use us and that we are going to follow after him. So I want to highlight this, and I want to try and go over this as fast as possible. I don't want to say fast as possible, but it's going to go quick because this can be a lot for us to grab a hold of, of obedience and six reasons why obedience is important for your spiritual growth and why it's important to God. Something that the church needs to come back to, something that we need to be reminded of, 
That God is a God that we are serving and we give our lives to through our action. Christians are to be people of action. It's a call to activity in our life. Not good works that saves us, but that God has already planned in advance for us to do great things for him. Okay? So number one, Jesus calls us into obedience. I mean, he calls us into a greater area of living and following after him. When Jesus called the disciples, come follow after me. Drop those nets, drop what you're doing, follow after me. Come be my disciples. I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to change the way that you view and how you work in life. You are going to do it for me. And we are going to be in a relationship together. In John 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The worst thing that we can see, see and the most destructive things are not non-Christians, right, that are uh, sinning or doing things. It is really honestly those who profess Christ as their Lord and continue to sin and continue to just do whatever they want. There is no accountability. That is destructive. And Jesus is saying, if you love me, you're going to follow after my commands. You're going to want to uh, uh, follow my commands because it brings you in a closer relationship with him. It's all about relationship. It's not about just doing, right? This isn't about doing. This is about relationship. He talks about love. Let's have a love relationship here. And it's much like a marriage, correct? You could say all day long that you, that you love your wife, but if you're, out, if you're out spending time with other women on a, every weekend, boy, that, that, your words and your actions just aren't lining up. So Jesus is just calling us to a greater action in our life. Two, obedience is an act of worship. This is our sacrificial worship. We present our bodies as a holy living sacrifice to God. It's what we do to say, God, I'm honoring you with my, my hands. What am I doing with my speech? What am I doing with where I go and what I do? Am I helping people or am I helping myself? Am I giving or am I taking? It, you know, there are actions of worship that we get to do through obedience in Him. And we must remember that this is critical to remember that we are not made righteous by our obedience. You are not made righteous by what you do, right? Grace is the free gift of God, and then we do nothing to earn it or merit it. So this is outside of righteousness, but our obedience flows from a heart of gratitude. Thank you, God, for the grace that you have given me. I do not deserve it, and I want to worship you with my life and just extend that, that expression of worship from what I have already received. Three, God rewards obedience. God rewards when we, when we follow him in his word. Luke eleven twenty eight. but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. If you want bless, blessings in your life, if you want blessings in your marriage, don't spend all that time with the women on the weekends, right? You can't say, God bless me in this marriage, and then not keep his commands of honoring your wife. Obedience to God proves our love for him. John, uh, 2 John 6 says, And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Walk. This is a walk, right? We are taking steps forward towards God in obedience. God says, I want you to walk on this path right here. I'm going to walk in that direction. I'm going to follow him. And God's going to bless you when you do that, right? This is just how the relationship works naturally. And we see that in our relationship with 
in natural relationships with, on, on earth, um, whether it's kids, co- co-workers, or whatever. We just uh, get to prove our, um, our love for God through walking in obedience with him. And obedience dem- demonstrates our faith. And when we obey, we show that we trust God. We say, God, we trust you. I trust that this is what you say is good and healthy for me. I'm going to just show you that I, I trust and I have faith in what you say. I'm going to go ahead and do this. In 1 John 2, 3 through 6, we know that we have come to him if we keep his commands. Now, this is going to sound a little harsh. You may be reading this on the screen, but I want to explain a little bit. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Again, we go back to it's more than just saying, right? It's more than anybody can, can wear a cross necklace on their, on their neck and say they're a Christian. And in fact, there are many who will say, Lord, Lord. But on, the, on that day, I will say, depart from me, you evildoers, for I never knew you. And they'll say, but we did signs and wonders in Jesus' name. Depart from me. So it leaves the question, those people who are healing and doing in Jesus' name aren't getting into heaven. Who's going into heaven? It's those people who take God's word personally in their lives and say, God, I love you, and I'm going to follow after you. I am not going to just say one thing and then do another. Right? This is not, we're not living a two-faced relationship here. That's why the church is really honestly known as a bunch of hypocrites. Because we do one thing and we we say another. Now, some people do it on purpose. That's the intent here. Some people do it on purpose. Now, we all have fallen short of the glory of God. Even after we are Christians, we still sin, but we don't pursue that anymore. In fact, sin becomes a bad taste in our mouth. And so it it, it makes God sick to his stomach, and his spirit is inside of us. And so it makes us sick to our stomach when when we're around sin or we associate ourselves with that. It is no longer pleasurable. It is no longer fun. It is no longer something that we want. We fall into a trap, but it's immediately saying, oh, that is not good. That's not what I want, right? So this is talking about the person who says one thing and does another on purpose, intentional. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. That is how we know we're in him. And whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, Jesus lived a perfect life. We can't live a perfect life. But he is what we strive to, right? And Jesus covers us with his grace. God gives us his grace. Jesus says, live as I have lived. So all of the example that Christ has given us, we are to follow just as the disciples have followed and just as you and I are disciples of Christ. It's a good, healthy dose of medicine for our soul. It really is. You know, medicine doesn't always taste the best. When I give our kids medicine, oh, it's bad, right? But it's good. And sometimes it feels, um, the taste doesn't really taste good, right? But it's good for us. And we never want to be in a place in this church where we're just appeasing the itching ears. We tell people what they want to hear. That's not what we're here for. We're here to say what God is speaking to all of us. And six, disobedience leads to sin and death. And I want you to know that disobedience is a lifelong journey. I did say obedience, right? Okay. Obedience is a lifelong journey as well. And it's a lifelong process that we pursue by making a daily goal goal to surrender to him. And I love what Jackson said. He was giving me the, the pointers on how to be the best at playing foursquare. He said, there's three things to be the best at Foursquare. Number one, Daddy, is you've got to practice. I said, that's true. 
And, and num- number two, you've, you've got to uh, give it everything that you've got. And then number three is don't cry about it when you lose. <laughs> and I think that's kind of a healthy perspective of our Christian life. We practice. We just give it what we got. And we, do er- we give it everything that we have. And when you mess up, don't cry about it. Just go to God and say, God, I need your grace. And you pick yourself right back up. And you go for it. And you leave that. And you don't pursue that anymore. Just like what Jesus said to the woman at the well. Just go and sin no more. Be done with it. It's a beautiful thing. Number two, and I'm going to wrap these up pretty quickly. So uh, these next two points are going to be up on the screen. Caution, be careful of who you associate with. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. I want to be very clear about this. There are relationships here that have found themselves to be almost in the evangelistic relationships. The evangelistic dating is not a good method. You date someone and you think, well, I'm going to bring them to the Lord later, is not a good, healthy, biblical role to be playing for getting people to know the Lord. You don't want to do that. Or having relationships or friendships, a circle of friends that you have, and you're the only person that is bringing good into that circle of friends. That is not always healthy. In fact, a lot of times that is destructive. And we need to be careful that we are putting ourselves into a trap by associating with the wrong people. And it can be true that you could influence your friends, but most of the time, it will be a trap for you. It can be influential to use a bullhorn on the street, but 99.9% of the time, it's going to be destructive. It just will. So people will use that one person came to know the Lord through bullhorn preaching, but the thousand people that said, no way am I going to have anything to do with that church, has just been offended. So we've got to be careful about how we play this role in influencing our world. And we must know that this is not Jesus' response or his approach to his life and in ministry. And if you haven't caught on yet, your life, you are in ministry, every single one of you. you don't, you're not in ministry when you step up on the stage. You're in ministry when you step up and say, God, I'm following after you. And we look at Jesus' ministry and his approach he spent most of his time with his disciples. He was encouraged. He was prayed for, prayed with. And he was surrounded himself with a group of people before he ministered or preached and ministered to sinners. He didn't live with, nor did he entertain the idea of living an unbalanced life, making friends or holding on to friendships that don't promote Christ. So I want to be careful here. We're not looking at this letter of the law, looking at the spirit of the law. Right? So the difference is, okay, here's the rule, and here's the spirit is, okay, here is what God is saying. What is the spirit of God speaking to you? There are important relationships in your life that they don't know God, and you are strategically there. And there are uh, friends in your life where you are, you are at that you don't need to be associating with anymore. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you in this way. But we need to be careful that we want to, do, to cultivate friendships that promote Christ in your life. And a lot of times I hear excuses as something like this, but Jesus was a friend to sinners. Yes, that's true. But if you're reading the Bible and thinking that God is asking you to go to the tax collector's home, spend time at the prostitute's territory, hang out with the sin of legalism, then you're confused about who you are in that story. It's Jesus that has come to us, right? And we let Jesus go to those who need help in rescuing and number three, do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. 
The culture of the land of Canaan, they had inhabited a land and a culture where there was still a remnant that was there. They had driven out evil, but on the outskirts, there were survivors of all the battles. There were still people that had built little communities around. And there was still an opportunity for, for Satan to come in and destroy from the inside through relationships. Association from what is around, the culture that was there. The culture in the land of Canaan, they worshipped and served a god named Baal. Baal was known as the chief of gods. He was the god over the sea. He was the fertility god. It was like he was the god of gods. And this is very blatant towards the king of kings and the lord of lords, right? And so you can see that there was a culture there where there was a shift that, that it potentially could shift away from who God was of the Israelites. Baal was a very destructive, uh, it was worshipped at Baal, it was very destructive. That's where they had a temple set up for um, fertility, and there would be male prostitutes there set up for the um, engagement of duties and practices, sexual uh, practices in the temple and worship, as well as uh, women or female prostitutes there. This was the place where they would offer babies over to Baal, and they would kill these babies to appease Baal. And God said, I don't want you to have anything to do with this culture. I don't want you engaging in your family. I don't want you even remotely coming close to partnering with this. This is not what I have for you. This is destructive. This is evil. This is nothing good is going to come from this. And they are surrounding you, and you have to be careful because you will see an association there that might happen. Don't you fall into a trap because their ways are not my ways. And this is a clear warning from Joshua. They are there, and don't you go from the right or to the left. Don't you compromise from the right or the left. But I really like them. They're super friendly, and they help me plow my crops. Don't fall into the trap of compromise just because somebody is a nice person. We're looking at God and what he is speaking to us about what is the, the uh, good and the difference between good and evil, righteous and evil. And there was a stark difference there in the culture that was already set up in the land of Canaan to what the culture of God was wanting the Israelites to be involved with. The Oxford Dictionary says this and defines idol this way. If we're thinking about idols and do we have idols today, a person or a thing that is greatly admired, loved, or revered. How many things in our life could be known or calculated as an idol? And quite frankly, there's many, many things that become idols in our life. Money can be one of them. We cannot serve God and mammon. People can be idols, celebrities. We all have people that we look, to, look up to, but sometimes we can cross the line and look to presidents or kings or queens, sports figures, actors, etc., that have more weight or value in their words than God does. We can make anything our idol, our hobbies, our free time, our vacation, anything that we think more of than God. We could take our home, our car, anything. We can take our family as an idol. Do you worship and serve your family more than you worship and serve God? We can make religion an idol. You can make the pastor an idol. We can make the cross an idol. It was the work that was done on that piece of wood that we worship. 
it is Jesus who we worship in him alone. So how do we determine if we have idols in our life? There's two tests that we can determine in anything in our lives that maybe God is prompting us to evaluate or to think about. In our lives, there's two tests. Questions to ask us. It's the test of time and attention. How much time and attention do you devote to that in your life? How much devotion do you have to it? Unquestioned loyalty do we give? Number two, the test of willingness to scrutinize. Am I willing to step back and question or will I defend it to the death? That you better not attack this part of my life. If that's where that's at, other than God, we need to have a red flag that's waving in our spirit. God wants to set us free from the things of this world and to remain in His love and a call not to go to the right or to the left for the culture that we live in will deter us from the right and to the left. And God has a spirit of love that promotes unity, that promotes the good things in this life that you have that He is going to produce through you and in you, plans to prosper you and to keep you and to hold you. And we need His lamp, right? The Word of God unto our feet so that we know where we're going. We don't stumble over rocks or barriers that are on the path at times, but we know which direction to take. And that we can be sure of the end goal, and that is just to pursue God today. And to throw off anything else that might distract us. It's the road map that Joshua lays out for his elders, that he lays out to us. To keep his commands, to follow him and to love his word. To serve him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Not deter from the right or to the left. And not associate with things that we don't need to be associating with. Quite just pure and simple. So the question is, maybe we need to give up some idols in our life. Give up some of those things that are drawing too much of attention in our life. That honestly, if we were to give it up, we would almost rather give up our relationship with God than that. And you can ask that question. Is it more important? We need to refocus our attention on Him, and maybe we need to simply just surrender our disobedience and accept a grace to not go back. And it's a call for a greater purpose of action in our lives. Healthy for us to do this. It's good for us to get a gut check once in a while. Say, God, I know that you've got a great life for me and ahead of me. And today, taking a stand for you, I know that you have good things for me in my future. Let's stand together. Now I want to close in prayer, and I just want to pray over you. And if this is you, or you just, in any of these areas, just need help from God, whether it's grace, whether it's keeping your attention on Him, whether it's just a, uh, an association you just need to get away from. If this is you, just raise your hand in any of those areas, and I just want to pray for you. I won't call you up, it just it doesn't matter if your eyes are open, because I think we're in this, yeah, right? I mean, hands are stretched wide. We're all imperfect and we'll never be perfect and we need God's grace. We do. We preach the message of grace. But you that are s- surrendering, you're saying, I'm, 
I'm ready to take the next step, whatever that is in my life, I'm ready to go forward. And God's calling me to something great, and I can't achieve anything great without God in there, right? So he's going to bless you, and he's going to help you. You're not on your own. God's going to give you a special sense of his spirit to produce something new in your life, the power of his Holy Spirit that will enable you to do things that you can't do on your own. That's the relying on the Holy Spirit. God, I, I thank you for every person that has raised their hands. We need your help to live a life that you've called us to. It's impossible to do it by ourselves. We can't do it. Lord, we need your strength. We need your empowering. We need your mind and your thoughts to infiltrate our heart and our actions and our words. In the name of Jesus, I just pray for a special dose, God, of your conviction in our lives. Lord, till up some of that hard ground so that the seeds of your truth will be planted deep into our hearts and take root. For we know, God, that whenever we take a step closer to you, you take three giant steps closer to us. And God, we thank you for meeting us, Lord, in the times of surrender, that every day we can raise our hand and say, God, I just don't have this, but you do. And we look to you, God, to lead us, to mold us, to shape us, help us to be people of action, the people people who say that we love you and that our hearts and our minds and our words, everything about us, God, will be lined up with you. Help us in that. We can't do it without you, and we need you to do it for us and fight the battles before us. Lord, we want to make the biggest impact that we can in our lives, this short time that we have. Help us this week, Lord Jesus, to honor you. In Jesus' name, we follow the roadmap of life that you've given us through your word. In Jesus' name, we said together, Amen. One last thing, and then we'll give the Lord a round of applause. This week, every single day, I want to leave you with a challenge. Every, every time that we, that we come together, I want to leave you with a challenge. And that is one chapter every day this week. If you're not reading God's Word, if you're not in that road map, do one chapter a day. Just commit to at least that. See what God does. I promise he will meet you. I promise he will speak to you. I promise that you will be led and God will reveal new things about him through one chapter a day in God's word. And I don't care where you start. He will speak through all of his words. You can start in John, Acts, or in Old Testament. You can read through Joshua again. It doesn't matter. One chapter a day. That's the call for all of us this week. We'll come back together and God will do amazing things in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's go and be strengthened this week. You are dismissed.